sometimes to get access to incredible career-changing opportunities, we just have to show up and call people back and do it immediately and do it in a timely manner. Best ever listeners, you ready to take your online advertising into the big leagues? Are you ready to get more leads? Well, how about we do all this for free? Yeah, sure, free. Well, it starts out with a free strategy session with Dan Barrett. You recognize his name, episode 565, titled Google AdWords and Cutting Edge Strategies. He's the only certified Google partner agency that works exclusively with real estate investors. That's why I'm talking about him. And he's managed over a million dollars of client spend and scored an 80th percentile for or higher for best practice. Basically, he knows his stuff. And he is offering a free strategy session for one hour to do a deep dive with you and learn about your market and collaboratively come up with an online advertising strategy based on your target audience. And he's offering to do this for the best ever listeners. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. I mentioned free. Well, the strategy session is free. And then you can either take the online advertising strategy that he comes up with on the call and go implement it yourself. There you go. It's free. Or you can have him and his agency do it for you. It's a turnkey solution. And by the way, that likely one that being free too, assuming that you're closing on the leads that he's generating for you as a result of all the efforts. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. He's got some amazing stuff. Ask him about the pre-targeting for direct mail lists that he does. It's something unique to their company and it's pretty exciting stuff. He's noticing some tremendous results as a result of doing pre-targeting. So ask him about that. AdWordsNerds.com forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. With us today for Follow Along Friday, as usual, Mr. Theo Hicks. How's it going, Joe? It's going well. Good to talk to you. Good to have you here, hanging out, and looking forward to diving in. We got a lot going on. Mm-hmm. I'm about to interview Emmett Smith. I know. It's awesome. Congratulations yeah. on booking the interview. It's yeah. super exciting. If you are watching this via Facebook Live, then you've got some time to put in some questions that you would like me to consider asking him. I'm interviewing him in a couple hours. And if you're listening to it via the podcast, well, then you will enjoy the episode. And then next time, perhaps follow us via Facebook Live. We do it once a week, usually on Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. And you can interact with us while the show's going on. I was telling you, I think last week, I met a guy randomly who... I'd worked with Emmett Smith before. A guy I met used to sell software, and he was selling software at Emmett Smith Company. And I was asking him, I was like, it's interesting that he's doing so well in business because it's kind of a, I guess, a cliche that people that become professional athletes, mm-hmm. they lose all their money. Mm-hmm. So I think that'd be a good question. Is like, what separates the athletes or the business people that have all that money kind of brush in? Like, what do they do that enables them to keep all that money or at least grow that money versus completely losing it all? I know it's probably... Pretty straightforward, like don't buy houses and the cars. But I'd just be curious to see what his take on that would be because that's something that I think is well known. Like, oh yeah, professional athletes, they make a bunch of money, they get super famous, and then once they go away, they lose all their money. I like that question. I had a couple along those lines that I was going to ask him, what is the most ridiculous 
investment you've seen an NFL player make. <laughs> uh, and, good question. Yeah, but I'll ask that more <laughs> macro level question too, and I'll get that response. And I'm going to interview. Um, my first question, I believe, is going to be. I bought an Emmett Smith jersey for this occasion. That's awesome. I'm going to ask him for right out of the gate. Has anyone ever interviewed you, Emmett Smith, while wearing an Emmett Smith jersey? That's good. good. We'll start out that way. Yeah, looking forward to it. Congrats. And when is that interview going to be released? I have no clue. Okay. Probably in the next week or two. Not sure. Secondly, do you want to announce the... The winners oh. of the basketball. Do I have to? <laughs> do I have to? I can do it if you want me to. Oh, all right. Uh, well, yes. From last week, Theo and I did a giveaway for the best ever listener who correctly selected the winner of our one-on-one basketball game, and then the tiebreaker was total points scored. Let me just say that we rode bikes from my house to the park. And I haven't even set up my bike yet to put it down to walk on the basketball court. And Theo's already jumping and touching the rim. And so I'm like, uh, I've never been able to touch the rim. And he's just warming up touching the rim. Like, I am in trouble. My first three shots were blocked that, that I had. Uh, I got smoked in the first game. 13-4. to four, Theo was the winner. 17 points scored total. Mm-hmm. And we have a tie between Parker and Mike. So Mike and Parker, you shall be getting the Volume 1, Volume 2 signed copies. Samantha, our team member, will be reaching out to you to get each of your mailing addresses. But I think it's important to note what happened afterwards. I was going to say the exact same thing. Afterwards, we played horse, and Joe smoked me in horse. I, I beat think, him in horse. I think he might have only gotten an H or an H or an O. Yeah. And I had, obviously, all of them. And then, at the end, we shot free throws in order to see if I could lose some of my letters, and I missed all three. Mm-hmm. And then the last game, it was 13-11. to 13-11. to 11. Yes, it was a very close game. And it was actually tied up 11-11 at the end. He drained the two-pointer. So, we're going to do the same thing this week. We're going to go play some basketball. And knowing that he smoked me on the first game, 13-4, to I beat him in horse, and I lost the second game, but it was a lot closer, 13-11. to I think I picked up some of your tendencies. I think I know how to play you a little bit. So this week, again, we're going to pick one winner. Everyone has one entry. We had someone blast me with 27 emails with every single winning combination, it kills me. I hate emails. So please, only one entry per person and just pick the winner and the total points for our first game this go-around and we'll mail you out a signed copy of the Volume 1 and Volume 2. So there's that. Yeah, it sounds like you've been doing some scouting on me. <laughs> I think I know how to play you now and, and what not to do. But we'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. see. We'll All see. Right. So let's get into some real estate stuff. So you said you had a couple of observations from your past. Can I kind of dive into those? Yeah. I was working out at a gym here in Cincinnati, and Colleen, my fiance, is my personal trainer. And we were working out at the gym she works at. And to my left, I see just a brick house of a man. This guy is seemingly like seven feet forever, super buff guy. And I'm like, Wow. That's the largest man I've ever seen in my life in person. <laughs> and he's got a Kansas State shirt on mm-hmm. while he's working out. So 
I'm thinking, man, if he's not an athlete, then I want to recruit him for our softball team, for sure. <laughs> and he's just like pumping iron and doing the stuff with this trainer, the head of the training studio that Colleen works at. The next day when I go in, I ask the guy who heads up the facility, who is that guy? And he said he used the third round draft pick of the Cincinnati Bengals, defensive mm-hmm. end out of Kansas State. I think he led the Big 12 in sacks last year, 26. I forget his name, something Willis. I think Jared Willis, or I can't remember his name. Mm-hmm. Well, as a trainer, if I'm a trainer, that would be a feather in my cap. If I trained a third-round draft pick mm-hmm. of the Cincinnati Bengals or any NFL team, and I got to say he's a rookie and now you know we were working together and certainly he has talent already, but I was a contributing force to him becoming a starter or getting a lot of reps or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And that's something you can leverage as a business person, I imagine, would be incredibly useful to have as a talking point about your company. So knowing that it's obviously a desirable thing to train a third-round draft pick in the NFL then the question becomes, how do you get to that point where you can be in a position to train those types of elite athletes? And what happened next blew my mind. The owner of the facility, his name's Scott, he said, yeah, this gentleman called 10 different trainers in Cincinnati, and I was the only one that called him back. What? So now Scott's training this NFL player. And... It has such relevant parallels to what we do because at the end of the day, the best ever listeners and you and I, we're already showing up in some capacity because they're listening to the show, we're participating in the show. So I'm preaching to the choir to a certain extent, but Mm -hmm. I also think in some aspects we can all heed this advice and that is, wow, Sometimes to get access to incredible career-changing opportunities, we just have to show up and call people back and do it immediately and do it in a timely manner. It's not a groundbreaking insight, but it's a groundbreaking event for a business that just happened, and all he did was he called someone back. Yeah. So this lesson goes out to the wholesalers, Returning calls quickly and immediately. If you aren't able to do that, having a system so that someone can do that on your behalf. It goes out to the multifamily syndicators who get emails from potential investors and don't reply immediately. We delayed the start of this show by five minutes because an investor emailed me and I immediately replied. Mm -hmm. And that's a type of customer service that sadly stands out. But that's okay as long as we know that it stands out. Because then we can simply capitalize on stuff we should be doing already. Yeah. It reminds me of when I was trying to write a document on how to get residents. It was called Get Residents Now, how to basically find tenants for your apartment complexes. And I was asking bigger pockets, what are some creative and effective ways to find tenants? And there was posts online and do flyers at a church and all different creative ideas. And then our friend Jared Sturm comments and he goes, he said creative, but she also said effective. And for me, the most effective way is just responding timely to people's calls. When they call you, call them back as soon as you possibly can and provide good customer service. And that's all you really need to do in order to get high-quality tenants. That was one thing that I thought about. And the second thing I thought about, and I can't remember who, it was on one of your podcasts, and obviously you have so many, it's hard to remember which one it was, 
was a while ago, maybe over a year ago, when he was talking about on social media. He was a social media advertiser, and he was talking about how the conversion rate, how it drops significantly after is either one minute or five minutes of when a lead is actually captured. If you don't respond within one to five minutes, the conversion percentage just plummets straight down almost zero. And after like thirty minutes to an hour, mm-hmm. the conversion rate kind of just flatlines really, really low. It's kind of the same concept is that we live in this instant gratification world where it's got its pros and its cons, but one of them is people want to get responded to so quickly and they, mm-hmm. if you don't, they'll completely forget that they even reached out to you. And I guess, I guess the third thing too is that little tiny step of just calling them back sooner and it kind of reminds me of your thought of the episode, which is good, congrats on that, but you interviewed Coach Trevor and he was talking about the real estate ladder success mm-hmm. and how like the higher up you go up the ladder the smaller the difference is between the two. Yeah. So at the top, it's like um, that one millimeter difference of just responding to someone's phone call. So I think that's really, really relevant to all realms of real estate investing. Yeah, we constantly seek out the unique angles or something secret about the process, like your ways to retain residents and what are some things that we haven't heard. But the reality is there's core principles as if we maintain and hold true to those core principles like in your example just calling residents back because maintenance is the number one issue people move out they don't get responded to in a timely manner or the issues that they have don't get addressed Mm -hmm. especially with class c apartments so if we address the main stuff that is what the cause of everything then we don't have to be concerned as much about the creative tactics. It's important to know those creative tactics once you have the foundation established. But if you don't have the foundation, then you're building on a house of sticks, basically. You're trying to put a big old roof on a house of sticks. Mm-hmm. Yes, I remember when I first started in real estate a year ago, I was kind of doing the exact opposite of doing what you were saying, building on a foundation of sticks. And I was kind of doing all the things that weren't the foundation and weren't going to set me up for long-term success. And kind of when I reflected on it, I realized that I was doing that because I was avoiding foundational yeah. stuff and I was doing it to make excuses as to why I wasn't taking mm-hmm. action I was actually translating into results like oh you know I have to study the market first I have to know everything about the market before I send out letters it can be the case sometimes but the level of research I was doing was very silly and I was like I was thinking why did I do that like why did I spend so much time doing that and it's because I was ignoring the foundation and kind of going straight for the stuff that I wanted to do for way down the line and I was doing it to avoid that foundational stuff. So I think that's good advice. So I think just to summarize in for an action item for best ever listeners, in whatever type of niche you're in within real estate, identify the three or four key things that you must do that everyone in your particular area of real estate who's having success is doing. And make sure you're doing those things. And then build on that. Yeah, good advice. Cool. And then the only other thing I want to mention, and this is another observation that I've had over the last week or so, and that is I am now only eating before 8 p.m. I'm not eating after 8 p.m. because I feel like I need to lose about 10 pounds or so. Therefore... What I've realized is that similar to real estate stuff too, and that's why I'm bringing it up, is that when it's hard for me to resist a fudge pop at 8.30 p.m., that's when I get really excited because that's when I know that I'm getting the most growth in my willpower. Because when it's hard, then I'm actually glad it's hard because I know 
that it's helping me grow as a person, and that will make it easier in future days not to have fudge pop at yes. 30. And it reminded me of a story that Tony Robbins tells in his seminars, and he always asks the audience, okay, if you do 10 reps, which rep leads to the largest amount of growth in your muscle? And the audience undoubtedly says, 10. He's like, wrong. The 11th rep leads to the largest growth. And the way to apply that in real estate and in personal development is when you identify something that is really challenging, then get excited because that's when the growth happens. And I have a poster to our left on my wall that says, we don't grow when things are easy. We grow when we face challenges. And that's true. We grow when we face the challenges and that produces the results and expands us indefinitely as long as we continue to challenge ourselves. We were talking about that yesterday. I was thinking about it. And for me, when I first started doing, I guess we'll just keep it in the personal development realm. But when I first started doing it, I was always thinking about this. It's cultivating of your willpower and kind of fighting that, that resistance would occur at like, you know, big, massive events. I have a deal and I have to make a quick decision. Or maybe I have an issue at a, at a property that I have to make a decision on of whether or not I'm going to go to this property or that property or something that's like some big major event. Mm-hmm. Now, I was thinking about it, and, and I think the best way to actually kind of cultivate that willpower is to look at it less on huge events and wait once a month to do that and do it for the really, really small, silly thing, like what you were saying, like resisting that fudge pop. Obviously, resisting a fudge pop in the grand scheme of things is not that big of a deal, but if you kind of overcome that small little hurdle those things kind of build up over time into a larger one and i thought that was interesting because it's kind of like a way to reframe your mind and you can kind of look at every single situation of an opportunity to cultivate that willpower no matter how silly the situation is and eventually it will grow up and so that you're prepared for when these big massive events happen instead of having to work on your willpower during those events when you're not necessarily prepared so that was one thing i thought about and the second thing and i mentioned this before was the Muhammad ali anecdote about the kind of the same concept which is he said something on the horizon i'm paraphrasing here that whenever he would work out and he'd do his push-ups and he wouldn't even count until he could barely do any more reps and then that's when he started counting his reps and so like when he's that muscle fatigue is when he started counting reps and this actually just rings really true to me because this past week i did this crossfit workout called murph on memorial day so i'm not sure if anyone's i've heard i've seen the crossfit things on espn once or twice i've heard of them okay so murph it's every memorial day and it's based off of a guy it's named something murphy seen the movie lone survivor with mark Wahlberg. you heard that movie i have not well if anyone's seen that movie character murph is in that movie and the workout is a one mile run and then 100 pull-ups 200 push-ups 300 air squats and a one mile run and talk about a, a test of a you, willpower. You did. I, so I did it on Monday, and I was just sort of working out for a week. And should have done it today. Yeah, seriously. Before, before, before basketball. Before we basketball. <laughs> and the entire time you're doing these workouts, you're thinking, you're just like, man, I want to just completely quit. And like you're at muscle fatigue the entire time. It's like all those reps that you're doing are that 11th rep, are that when you're at, you know, when you're so exhausted, you have to keep pushing. And so there's so many parallels between, you know, CrossFit and, mm-hmm. and working out and, and real estate investing and eating fudge pops and not, mm-hmm. or not eating fudge pops. So I just, that was an interesting point you brought up. So I'm choosing not to eat fudge pops and you're doing 100 push-ups instead of <laughs> running two miles. Okay. <laughs> I like how you mentioned the daily thing too. Clearly, and the small daily decisions because clearly with the daily podcast, I mean, it's been going on for over a thousand days straight. Mm-hmm. I believe in that. <laughs> I yeah. believe that the daily actions we take 
lead to large results. And I've mentioned this many times on the show. Instant gratification culture. We want things to happen now. We want the shiny object. It doesn't happen within a relatively short amount of time. Then we move on to something else. And by the end of 10 years, you've dabbled in a bunch of stuff, but you're not really great at anything. Mm -hmm. That's just the cycle that a lot of people have. Whereas if you find what you are interested in and then just go all in on a daily basis doing that, you might not end up doing the same thing, but I guarantee you if you're doing daily things towards that first thing, you're going to end up in something that you do enjoy and you're going to be successful at it. All right, let's roll into something else. Okay, so we've got a couple of questions from one best ever listener. We have a very interesting question that I never even thought about before. So I reached out to you and was interested in being an investor, and he asked... What is the best way to go about reaching that accredited investor requirement? So you're not an accredited investor. What's the requirement? Like, like a million dollar net worth and two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year in income, three hundred grand for couples. Mm-hmm. And so right now he's not at that. I think it's that he makes six figures, but he's not at that income level yet. And do you want to know what can he do in order to reach that level? And the two options that he kind of laid out was: Do I passively invest? in a deal that I don't have to be an accredited investor in, so maybe invest with a fix and flipper, or do I invest in real estate myself? So accreditation aside, the question is, how do I make the most money in the shortest amount of time? Yeah, That's really the question. And the answer is, you do your own deals. You make more money doing your own deals, assuming that you have the risk mitigated, than you would investing in any of my deals or any other syndicators. Because... There's not another level of people who are being paid involved. So if you're looking to get the most money the fastest, and granted, the risk, I suspect, would be greater if you do your own deals. So there's that. These are probably risk-adjusted returns because you're not plugging into a system with a syndicator who has a model and has a team, has everything in place. You're creating your own. So there's more risk there. Welcome to the real world, right? More risk, more return, less risk, less return. Mm -hmm. That's basically your option. As far as what I would recommend for you, I don't know. The reason why I don't know is it depends on your skill sets. It depends on the amount of time that you have to dedicate. And it depends on your priority. Is this a priority? Is it a primary priority? Is it a priority over your full-time job? Okay, if not, is it a priority over spending time with your kids? Don't have kids? What about your wife, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, whoever, your husband? So once you identify in your life what are your priorities, then determine how much time you have to allocate towards doing this. Then determine your skill sets that you are really good at right now. And you might not know as it pertains to what you're about to do, but you can talk to people who are doing what you want to do and you can ask them, what are some of the skill sets that you've used that have helped you be as successful as you have within this industry? And if they align or are similar to yours, then you've got a good shot at being successful. Now you've got to surround yourself with the right team members, make sure you have the right capital and make things happen. So any type of real estate, usually people gravitate towards wholesaling, fix and flipping, house hacking, buying apartment communities, but there's also parking lots, there's also retail strip centers, there's triple net stuff, there's industrial buildings, 
There's buying distressed notes, buying performing notes. There's all sorts of stuff you could do. But from a macro level, if you want to make more money the fastest, assuming that you mitigate the risks as much as possible, then do your own deals. The people who invest passively in deals like mine or other syndicators' deals are people who are not able to spend the time that they either want to spend or just don't want to spend. They're just not willing to spend the time on multifamily deals. Mm -hmm. They're too busy doing software engineering or programming or helping people remove their kidneys or taking x-rays of them or removing tonsils or whatever, and they just don't have the time or don't want to have the time to focus on real estate and the amount of time that's needed to put deals together. An added advantage you have, just for the sake of personal experience, that it says you are making six figures, so you will be able to qualify. It seems like you'll have no problem qualifying for multiple loans, most likely, Mm -hmm. but I'm not sure if him making six figures means he's working so much that he's not going to be able to actually do it himself. So most of these answers are just, it depends on what your yeah. goals are and what your priorities are and where you're at in your life right now. I can tell you that probably based on the books I've read and the people I've interviewed, probably the fastest way to do it with your own money is to buy a property that's distressed, fix it up, get a cash out refinance and take that cash and reinvest it into another deal and just keep on going until you reach that, in your case, the accreditation status that you're seeking. Yeah. There was a really good article that I read way back on Bigger Pockets, and it's something along the lines of how to make a million dollars in real estate in seven years. And it talks about that, that that's strategy you're talking about. It says like, buy as many houses, and then you either sell them or you refinance and pull that cash out and buy a large apartment, and you do the same thing, and you buy multiple one of those, and then you kind of keep building up until you have one large $5 million apartment complex with 20% equity, so you are worth a million dollars. Tried and true approach. Okay, I didn't mention this guy's name. His name is Jeff. A second question, it was about syndications, and he wanted to know what kind of skills does someone need to have in order to be a syndicator? Well, first, people already need to recognize that you're a trustworthy person. Okay. So if you can't look yourself in the mirror... And say, everyone around me would say, I'm a good person, I'm a trustworthy person, and forget about getting into the business. So that's a pre-qualifier. Assuming that you say, yeah, of course, people find me trustworthy, I am a trustworthy person, and people around me would say that, and they'd say I'm a good person. Assuming that's the case, then you'll need to be either have a track record in real estate or have a track record within your professional career. Ideally, both. You'll set yourself up for success if you have both, but either or, for sure. If you just graduated college and you don't have a track record and you've never bought a house and you have been at your job for a couple years, you're not set up for success. But if you have had entrepreneurial experiences in college and you've maybe bought and sold a company, or if you've just started your own companies and you were investing on the side while in college, that's pretty compelling. You have some of the foundation that would be needed. So that's kind of qualifications. Other skill sets would be being incredibly resourceful. I believe I'm the most resourceful person on the face of this earth. I will find a way to make things happen. I just believe it. I will talk to enough people. I will 
do whatever it takes. That's a core belief, a guiding belief of mine. And I believe we have to be resourceful as multifamily syndicators because challenges come up. Mm -hmm. And there's not necessarily a roadmap for how to do it from start to finish. So you need to surround yourself with the right people. So another skill set would be being able to inspire and gather a talented group of people to have an alignment of interests with you. And then you got to know your numbers and you've got to be able to have the skill set of analyzing deals. You don't need to have 10 plus years of analyzing deals. You can partner with someone like I did mm -hmm. who has that experience. But you do need to know how to run the numbers and analyze the deals so that you can qualify opportunities and then partner up with people who have the 10 plus years of experience in order to do it. So those are some of the skills that come yeah. to mind. It's kind of the same thing as knowing the numbers, but know the terms too. Because you're in a conversation with an investor who might know more about investing than you and they're asking about IRRs and, mm -hmm. and you're like, IRR, what does that mean? It's probably not going to help too well. That's good advice. I get a third question, which we've answered multiple times. So I want to put a little spin on this. I don't think I've asked it before because he wanted to know how you found your first group of investors. But my question is, is who was the first person that you approached to be an investor? And how did that conversation go? I will answer that. One other thing that comes to mind as far as the skill sets go is you've got to be good at marketing. You must be good at marketing, marketing your deals, marketing yourself, marketing other people's needs so that you can help them solve their challenges, their problems. If you're not good with having conversations, like people apply to be in the consulting program I've got, and I'll jump on a call with a couple people, and incredibly awkward. They don't have the conversational skills that would be required to actually bring investors into deals. They could partner with someone who does, but there's probably too steep of a learning curve for them, and that's probably not their love of the business to have those investor conversations. They're going to need to partner. So identify what you are good at and not good at. And if it's not any of those things, then find people who are good at it. So now to answer that question, how did I find the very first investor? Well, I found that investor because I was teaching a class in New York City on how to buy single-family homes in other markets that cash flow while living in New York City. Mm -hmm. You know, I had four homes and a bunch of my advertising friends, I was working at advertising agencies, were like, how are you buying these homes? I thought you were in advertising. It's like, I am. I'm also buying these homes on the side because I'm living like a college kid in this small apartment with Craigslist roommates. And they're like, well, how do you do it? So I taught a class. After teaching the class for like a year, year and a half, my oldest brother's friend, who I knew, emailed me. He's like, I heard you were teaching a class on real estate investing. I know it's in person in New York. Can you just send me the PowerPoint? I'd like to take a look at it. And I was like, yeah, sure. Send him the PowerPoint. He looked at it. He's like, this looks great, but I'm looking to go larger because he owns multiple fitness centers in Dallas, Fort Worth. Mm -hmm. Incredible entrepreneur. Started from scratch. And he's like, I want to go a little bit larger. If you do something larger, let me know. I'd like to partner up with you. I was like, oh, what? Really? <laughs> so that was the first investor. That's awesome. It kind of circles back to what we are talking about before. Yeah, obviously a big event happened where he emailed you and you finally got that first investor. But the only reason it happened is because you bought four properties. And like, you know what? I'm going to start coaching people. And did it for a year, a year and a half. And that's not going to say the only reason why it happened. But yeah. every single day, going every single week, every single month. 
teaching that course and continuing to do it. I'm sure there was times where it's like, you know what, why am I doing this? The first class I taught in New York, it was about four people, and that wasn't even the least amount that showed up. In the next month, I had one person show up, and I think I had zero people show up one time. The first time I taught, it was my buddy GCP, Giancarlo, another friend, Alexis. It was just coworkers. Okay. And I think it was one stranger, so I was kind of pumped up about that. <laughs> but I was so freaking nervous. And it was in upstairs in like a church community center on the west side of Manhattan, like 80th or 90th Street on the west side, far west side. And no air conditioning. It was in the summer, so miserable. And I was so nervous that I had to stop at the beginning, get up. And go walk into the sink and get some water and come back. I was publicly frightened about mm. just doing the presentation. And now I have a completely different mindset. It's not about me. It's about them and helping them get what they want. And that's why I'm not going to say don't get nervous, but it doesn't paralyze me because I get excited whenever I feel these kind of bubbly feelings before I present because I know I'm about to serve. Mm. So a lot of lessons learned on that, but it wouldn't ever have happened if I didn't just stick through it. And I was doing these monthly in-person classes to a handful of people. And the most I ever had was probably about 13 people. It's not like they were large classes, but I just kept at it. And then it turned into some bigger stuff. Yeah, well, something that Trevor told me before I interviewed him on one of my earlier, you know, way in the beginning podcasts, and I was Trevor uh, coach co- Trevor yeah, yeah. and I'm not even seeing him in person. I'm just sitting in my house with a microphone, and I'm you know, nervous. And he he gave me an, an analogy that I'll never forget. And he said that he's from Canada, so they're all about hockey up there. And he says that when you see the hockey players all lined up before the national anthem, you see him like some of them will be shaking their skate, and that's because they feel that same anxiety. We'll call it because that's kind of what we're feeling when we're nervous to talk, but. For them, they don't look at it as anxiety. It's them getting excited and their bodies are preparing for battle. And if you saw this person just sitting there, kind of like slouched down, just laying there, like lethargic, and he's not in the right mindset, he's not physically prepared to do what he's about to do. And so when you feel that anxiety when you're before you're talking or before you're having a conversation with someone, before you're doing anything, I try my best to interpret that now as he's excited doing something that's new. I'm like going into, into a chaotic situation, I'm going to have fun, I'm going to grow. And I try to interpret it that way instead of looking at it from the lens of, oh, I'm scared, like, what if I mess up? Mm-hmm. I just thought that I would put that in there for the best ever listeners before yep. we wrap up. I like it. Jeff, let me ask you your, your three questions, and I will put the questions and all that stuff in the show notes and of the YouTube channel as well. Oh, sweet. All right. that good for today? Yeah, that wraps up. up. All right. Well, we're going to go play some basketball. Email info at joefairless.com if you want to take a guess at who's going to win. Playing the 13 by ones and twos, have to win by two, and only one entry per person, please. <laughs> I'm talking to you, person who emailed me like 35 times, one entry per person, and also the first person who answers it correctly, who responds and answers it correctly, will be the winner, and total points in the game as well, so as a tiebreaker. Let's wrap it up. Go and play some basketball. Then we can talk to Emmett Smith. It's a sports day. It's it a sports very day. Sporty day. All right. Talk to you later, best ever listeners. Got your free strategy session to generate online leads yet? Well, if not, go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Dan Barrett's going to give you a concrete online advertising strategy by the end of the conversation. You can choose to implement it yourself or you can work with this team and they'll implement it for you. 
AdWordsNerds.com forward slash Joe. Ready to enter the minds of successful entrepreneurs and millionaires? Are you ready to excel in your entrepreneurial and investing journey? The new podcast, Before the Millions, studies phenomenal entrepreneurs and their path to millions. Journey through exclusive interviews, giving you all the secrets to mimic their successes. Listen and subscribe to Before the Millions podcast at beforethemillions.com. That's beforethemillions.com.